good morning or good afternoon, I guess, uh, Hope Midtown. Uh, my name is Hal, and my wife, Carol, and our kids have had the privilege to be able to come to this uh, amazing church for the, uh, since last year, and we are so blessed. And before we dive into what we are going to talk about today, I just wanted to, one more time, if you go to the next slide, I just wanted to wish uh, the mothers a happy Mother's Day. You know, it's, it's truly true. I mean, it's not easy being a mother, because if it were easy, fathers would do it. We all know that the world is run by mothers, right? And if it was left to folks like me or maybe some of us here, other fathers, uh, things would certainly fall apart. And so really want to um, recognize, honor, and give thanks to, to our mothers. And so before we start, let us uh, just go ahead and say a word of prayer, and then we'll get going. Father God, we come before you on this day, on this Mother's Day, uh, where we honor, we remember, we respect the, our mothers for their love, for their sacrifice, um, for their care for us. Um, and so today we just want to remember them, whether they are with us or no longer with us, by our side or no longer by our side. Father, we give you thanks because in the mother's love, uh, we see your love. We see, we see the heart of God. And so we honor them today and we give thanks to them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, if you've been with us, you'll know that we've been studying the book of Nehemiah. And today we're going to be um, studying chapter 4, and uh, thank you for, for the reading for the five slides, a very long kind of text that we're going to be diving into today. And uh, when Pastor Drew kind of um, told me that I should talk about Nehemiah 4, and I started looking into it a little bit, it kind of made me think about a few things. And it actually made me think about some of the things that Pastor Drew talked about in the past, Right. Uh, you know, if you were here last week, you know that we were talking about Nehemiah 3, I believe, and he was talking about um, serving God with our, with our time, talents, and treasures. I remember, you know, three T's, it stuck, sticks in your head. But actually, that wasn't what I remembered when I was thinking of this topic. And what actually reminded me as we kick off, and I've titled this, um, this talk, The Insult, Persecution, and Hardship, A New York State of Mind, was if you were here a couple of weeks ago, you might have remembered um, Pastor Drew talked a little bit about New York and a little bit about New Jersey and, uh, you know, the, I guess, the supposed superiority, right, of, of New York. And, and as a New Yorker, I guess uh, I was born in Brooklyn, you know, just uh, grew, up, grew up here and it kind of resonated. It was like, yeah, you know, we are a superior breed here, right? And it's got nothing to do with New Jersey. So for those who are here from New Jersey, you know, no issue. But it's actually, it has more to do with just New Yorkers feeling kind of superior to anybody, right? So it doesn't matter if it's New Jersey, it's Chicago, it's Boston, it's today we're reading about Jerusalem. You know, we just feel like, hey, we're New Yorkers, all right? We know how to do things, Right, uh, we we our sports teams are better, even though all of our teams have lost. I guess at this point, you know we're more beautiful, handsome, smart. You know we know how to cross streets better. Right, it was the other day I was I was I was in Chicago a little while back, and I was at the light, and it was like you know don't it was like don't walk, and there are no cars for mile like a mile, and I'm like I'm gonna cross here, and then like everybody looked at me like I broke the law or something. Right? We know how to cross streets better, right? 
Does anybody know what I'm talking about when you cross in the street? Who, who waits at the light for it to turn to walk before you actually cross the street? I can't think of anybody in New York who does that, right? Do people know that most recently, and actually in the last couple of years, they changed, you know, it's like a safety thing. So now, like, you have seven more seconds. Did you know that? Have you seen that? When you cross the street, it turns green, but you're still allowed to walk. Uh, it you're still allowed to walk, and the light is red, and it gives you seven more seconds to cross the street. So when I saw that, I came back, because we came, recently came back to New York. I was like, this is awesome. Even when it's like you can't cross, you still have seven more seconds to run across that street, right? So when I thought of this, I thought like, okay, so we're talking about insults, persecution. We're talking about hardship. You know, for a New Yorker, that's no problem. You know, it's like we can deal with that, right? If I'll put up this slide. Again, it was, it's approved by Pastor Drew. So, but this idea is if you go back into daily news from in the 1980-something, like the whole idea is like, hey, our city can kick your cities behind, Right? And we don't take, you know, when I grew up, it was the idea of, hey, like, we don't take nothing from nobody, right? And then I realized later on, it was like, we don't take nothing from nobody. That's a double negative. That means we take everything from everybody, right? But it's that kind of attitude, right? If somebody's going to insult me, you know, hey, you know, like, forget about it, right? It's, there's no way that's going to happen, right? You know, I'm a New Yorker. I don't take that kind of thing, right? So on one hand, as we're talking about, like, insults and persecution and hardship, there's kind of like the New York mentality. But in some ways, I would say that's probably like a New York veneer, if you know what I mean. It's like a facade. Because I think a lot of times, we probably as New Yorkers, and I know I felt this coming back in the last couple of years. If you go to the next slide, I just wanted to show, you know, I don't, you can't really see it, but that's supposed to be like Gotham City. You know, if like you're a Batman fan or something. And it's kind of like this dark kind of menacing city. And I think sometimes we probably all feel that as living in the New York area. It's like it's hard to live here. It's expensive. It's tough. You know, people are all like, don't tread on me kind of thing. And so, like, the friction that we feel every day is hard, right? And sometimes, you know, I feel like we just, you know, I know for myself, it's like, oh, I just don't want to deal with all this hardship. And sometimes you just want to withdraw, you want to just kind of curl up. You know, I was talking to one of my colleagues the other day, and she was just saying when, when these things happen, she just kind of wants to go to sleep. It's like that's her mechanism of dealing with stress and with hardship. And so kind of I think we're a little bit like schizophrenic in some ways, right? It's like we got the New York mentality, right? We, we're going to deal with, you know, hardship, no problems, get out of my way, you know. I, I, and then on the other hand, it's like sometimes I feel like it can be so overwhelming and discouraging and hard and we just want to withdraw. So I guess the question for today, as we, as we start to study this passage, is what is a biblical response to insults, to persecution, to hardship, to stress? What, what can we learn from the book of Nehemiah on this, right? Are we kind of on this end of the New York mentality? Or are we on this end of the withdrawal kind of mentality? And actually, I think it'll be super interesting as we dig in to see what Nehemiah teaches us about responding to hardship. So let's go ahead and dig right in. If you go to the next slide, I want to um, start at the top, okay? And I wanted to, for us to kind of get a sense of what, what was Nehemiah facing? 
in chapter 4, right? In chapter 2, chapter 3, you'll know that, you know, he, they had started building the wall and, you know, spoiler alert, like a couple chapters later, they're going to finish, right? But right now, they're kind, of, they're kind of putting it together and what was going on, right? If you remember, Nehemiah was called by God. He was here to restore the walls of Jerusalem. And in that context, really meaning rebuild the city, rebuild the community, bring people together. And because God had shown him favor and they were actually moving forward, people around him from different tribes, I guess, different um, backgrounds started to insult, to speak up, to make fun, right? And so as we kick off in chapter 3 here, what you see is, this idea that, you know, uh, Sanballat is saying, who are, these, who are these, what are these feeble Jews doing? It's like insulting them, right? And then you get this uh, Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was at his side. What are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. I mean, that's, you know, if I was a New Yorker, New Yorker I was like, that's not even funny. That's not even an insult, right? But uh, it reminds me of like this, you know, like the Disney character, right? When you have the main evil guy and then there's some like, parrot that squawks on the side on the shoulder it's like yeah he wouldn't even you know even a fox climbing and it's not funny right it's like what, what kind of insults are these right and then he, but then as you move along what you'll see is that it just becomes even more difficult I think one because of circumstance two because of the underlying threat so let's go next slide please you'll see that the circumstance was hard right because what you see here is they were rebuilding the wall, and the wall had reached half its height. And I would just, like, reflect on that. Like, that half its height is a difficult period, right? If you think about anything that you've done, like, when you get halfway, it's hard, right? When you start, at the beginning, you're kind of, like, full of vision, full of passion and energy. We're going to, you know, this is great, and we got, we're going to pull this off. And when you get to the end, you know, you do, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. We can almost get there. We can see it. We're, like, reinvigorated. You know, but when you're in the middle, when that wall is at half its height, that's, like, the darkest period, right? Because it's, it's like you don't see either way. You've lost your energy, and you just can't see that light out of the tunnel. And so this is where Nehemiah and the Jews were in this chapter, Right? They were halfway there. You know, it sounds great, I'm halfway home, but actually it just sounds like you're halfway to nowhere. And as they, as they were trying to build this wall, it got up to halfway. What, what happened? If you go to the next slide, you'll see that suddenly like these, it was almost like you're in a fight and these punches just keep on being rained down on Nehemiah. Right? And so what happened? They were, they were trying to build, they were trying to move forward, and suddenly things just get ratcheted up. Right? So this idea here, first, the people in Judah said, the strength of the labors are giving out. Right? There's so much rubble, it can't be, we can't rebuild the wall. People were burning out. It was hard. People weren't able to do it. Then what do we see? We see the enemies. Right? This is Sanballat and others. Before they knew or see us, we will right, be right there among them. We'll kill them. Suddenly, it became a, a matter of not just like, oh, a fox will you know, make your wall fall down. It became this thing of, we're going to actually kill you. It's like your livelihood, not, not just your livelihood, your life is at risk. And then the Jews, the other people who were around, like these are supposedly the, you know, the same tribe with the same goal, you know, were in fear. Right? Wherever you turn, right, they will attack us. 
So I want you to think about that, that position that Nehemiah was in, in this chapter, in chapter 4, of just, of just kind of what I put here in the next slide, overwhelming discouragement. It's like, you, you know, he, he was called by God to go build this wall. He had a clear mission. And yet here in chapter 4, we see, like, it's just come all grinding to a halt. And it's just attacks after attack after attack from so many different places. Right? And the question is, like, how can you, how could he go forward? And I would just, you know, I would postulate that some of us have been in that position. You know, I know for myself, I've been in positions of just feeling, like, overwhelmingly discouraged. It's just like, God, what's going on? Like, why? Right? And maybe if you're not a believer, it's just like, why is this happening to me? This is not fair. Right? This is not right. And so this is what Nehemiah was facing. Right in that circumstance, as we read in chapter 4. And the question that I want for us to dig into now is, how did Nehemiah respond? Right? What can we learn? Like, was he like the New Yorker? Like, ah, forget about it. Get out of my way. You know, like, I'm not going to take this from nobody. Or was he like, did he withdraw and just kind of go into a shell? Actually, I think as we dig into this, you'll see that his response, at least for me as, as a New Yorker, is pretty stunning and life-changing and encouraging. As I and as we respond um, to difficulties and hardships. All right, so let's go to the next slide. So um, I want to dig into Nehemiah's response. And I want to kind of put this in the framework. You know, last week were three T's. This week I'm going to put three H's, okay? Just so hopefully that, remember, you know, we can remember. But I, I think Nehemiah responded in an amazing way in three, at least three ways, right? And what I'm going to call here is he responded with his heart, first. Then he responded with his um, head. And then lastly, he responded with his hands. So what, what do we mean? Let's go ahead and look at the next verse. So in terms of his heart, what we see in this verse, kind of the first few verses, right? We go back to that verse of the fox, you know, there's a famous fox, going to make the fall, you know, make the wall fall down. And then what Nehemiah responds, how he responds is actually pretty amazing to me. Because I think if somebody were to insult my work, right, it's like, you know, I'm doing X, Y, Z and work, and I've spent all my effort on it, and it's like this guy comes and, like, poo-poos it and says, like, this fox is going to call, you know, something is going to make this wall fall down. What would the first thing that I would say? I'm just trying to think. And I would be like, that would not, you know, what happened is not what I would say. I'd be like, who did you say? Blah, blah, you know, it would be like this new typical New York response. Or, or it may not be so much New York as more like a, my own anger management <laughs> issues, right? But this idea like, I'm, I'm not going to take that. Who are you to even speak? You don't know the work that we've done. You don't know the hardship that we've gone through. You don't know the efforts that we've made. And you're going to say that to me? Who do you think you are? But what's stunning to me about this passage is that doesn't happen, right? You look at what Nehemiah did, and what was his first response to this oppression and hardship? His first response was to pray, right? He says here, hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. I mean, I think that's insightful, stunning to me for a number of reasons, and I want to just share at least three. Right, if you go to the next slide, I think the first thing here is this idea, kind of what I was talking about, is of discipline. That this was an act of discipline and of restraint. 
you know, where, where, where we might blow up and we might, we might just speak something back that's so unkind, he held it back, right? He, he was able to do that, and I think that shows the amount of discipline, that this was not the first time that he responded this way, right? That in his life, he lived a life of discipline. I think the second thing that's super interesting is the amount of transparency that's in this prayer. Like, you read that prayer, that prayer is not a prayer of, oh, God, bless our enemies, for we love them and for we care for them. You know, this, that prayer, if we could just go back a sec, is a prayer of, like, turn their insults, give them as plunder, do not cover, the, you know, have where they have thrown. It's like, kill these guys, right? Like, just destroy them. You know what I'm saying? It's not a lovey-dovey Christian kind of prayer that you and I pray in church all the time. Well, this is real feelings. It's a level of transparency of heart and of relationship with God that I think sometimes we, we may avoid or we don't have. It's as if we couldn't be honest with God. And so that's something I appreciate about, appreciate about this prayer is that it's, it's this idea of transparency. It's who I am and what I'm feeling. You know, and we see this, this in Nehemiah. We see this in so many of the Psalms of the re- realism, right, of, of, of feeling that, uh, that Nehemiah was feeling and able to express. And I'm thankful for that, that we have a God that can take those kind of prayers, right, even if they're not the most God-centered, I would say. And the third thing I would say here that struck me was this idea of prayer, the prayer first as an act of, and perhaps this is the most important, as an act of submission, because it takes a lot for us in our society to say, hey, you know, if I'm going to pray first, that means I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to humble myself. I'm going to lower my head and submit to somebody else, right, that, that I'm not in control. Because I think our society, our work, our schools, everything is built around, hey, be proactive, take control, show leadership, do something, right, or do something first. You know, I give an example my son I have another boy, Nathaniel, he's not here, he's first year in college, and uh, just the last couple of weeks, you know, I was surprised. I, I didn't think of him as a, necessarily a go-getter, but he was going out, he got an EMS, EMT certification, right, and he wanted to apply for an EMS position at the school, like driving an ambulance. You've got to imagine, this is a New Yorker now who doesn't know how to drive, who's going to be driving an ambulance kind of thing. That's like actually more scary to me than anything else, right, but... Um, so amazing, you know, so then he was going through like 10 interviews, and he was in inter- interview eight and interview nine, he was made it through, making it through, and then he called me up and said, oh, I really messed that up, I didn't know the answer, blah, blah, blah. You know, what was my first response? It's kind of this awesome. My first response is, come on, you can do it. Like, you know, go study some more, and like, think about this, and what about this kind of case, and yeah, come on, you got it, and you know. My first response was not a, you know, as I reflected and I was reflecting on this passage, it was not a, a response of submission. It was like, let's come before God and remember that God has a plan for us first. And I think that was a learning for me because it was this idea like, again, I'm in control. I don't need to submit to somebody else because I'm your dad and I know what's best for you, right? And I know how to handle this situation, And so when we pray first, it's kind of like giving up that identity, giving up that hold, right? Giving up that authority of who we think we are and really submitting ourselves, submitting ourselves. So what does that mean, though? So does submitting ourselves 
and humbling ourselves, does that mean like putting ourselves down? It's interesting because I love this next quote by Tim Keller because what he says here is being selfless or this idea of being humble, right, is to think of yourself less but not to think less of yourself, right? It's to think of ourselves less. I think sometimes when we have opposition and hardship and persecution, we, we just kind of continually think about ourselves. We think about ourselves. What can I do? This is going to be terrible. This is going to be horrible. It's going to affect my life. It's going to affect my reputation. It's going to affect me, 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 everything. We become the center of everything. And I think one thing that we see from Nehemiah's response here in praying first is this idea that we submit. We become humble so that we can think, we can think of yourself less. We're thinking of ourselves less and we're actually thinking of something else more, right? And that something else is the second point that I want to talk about, is, is the head because what Nehemiah tells the people, if we go to the next slide, is we are thinking of ourselves le less, and instead we're filling our mind with the Lord. It's not just like we're submitting to something, anything. Submitting for submitting states. We're submitting ourselves just like we become less and he becomes more. He fills us. We remember what the Lord has done. Just like we were singing before, right? Eliana's awesome songs worship around, you know, great is thy faithfulness. How important is it, you know, in, it, for us to use our head and to be encouraged by what Nehemiah said? He teaches the people to remember the Lord, to fill our head with what the Lord has done. Right? How many times in your life or in my life, I know for myself, that I've been in such dire straits. I felt like, oh, the world is collapsing. And yet somehow God, God provided in an almost miraculous way. Maybe things didn't always go the way that I wanted to, but God provided. And so when you look back on that, you're reminded of the great faithfulness of God. And here I think this passage in Nehemiah based on the words that he uses, and again, I'm not a Greek scholar, I think it reflects on at least two things that we should be thinking about. If we go to the next slide, right? Because he tells the people, he said, don't be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. The first thing I think he's teaching us here is to remember who the Lord is, right? Because he uses the terms, two terms. One is don't be afraid, because, and he says, because God is awesome. Actually, both these words come from a kind of a similar root, which mean like fear, right? Fear. Uh, uh, but they're so different in their connotations. The first one, when he says, don't be afraid, this is afraid of the Sanballat and the Tobiah, you know, these guys. That word is a word of a temporal nature. It's a word of brief emotion, maybe of like the sense of like panic, but it's, it's small, it's in the moment, and it goes away. While the word awesome also means fear. It means fear and trembling before an amazing creator God that is in control. You should have fear, right? You should know who this person is. You should have reverence. It's in that idea. 
And so when he's using those two words in comparison, it's a reminder to the people of the day as they think what he's saying is like, yes, this, is, this feels overwhelming. But in some way, yes, this too will pass. Right? This afraid, this kind of small fear, F. What we really remember first is be reminded of who God is, of the God that you serve. Remember the Lord who is awesome, who created that kind of awesome power of reverence. Have reverence because God is in control. And our God is way bigger than our temporary fear. So that's the first thing, right? To be reminded of who this awesome God is. Remember the Lord. And then on top of it, I, I think there is a reminder to the people of because who God is, don't forget who you are. Because he uses the word great, right? And this word, again, is the same word that is in the Abrahamic, I don't know, Abrahamic covenant. If you know in, in Genesis 12, when he, Abraham is called out as the chosen people, right? And what it's written there is that I will make you a great nation and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. It's a reminder. It's the same great. It's a reminder to the people who are building the wall, don't forget what God has called you to, what God has, who you are in God's eyes, right? Remember the Lord, remember who he is, and remember because of who he is, remember who you are, your status, not because of what you've done, but because of what God has put onto you, right? And so I think that's like awesome and amazing, right? Nehemiah is telling them, pray, submit, Remember, fill your head with the Lord, less of you, because of who you are. And then the final action that he takes here is, is he talks about, you know, using his hands. Like, and here I've written, you know, working in community. What you see is in the passage, sorry, I keep on walking around here. Uh, we had all returned to the wall, each to our work. And whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. It's like this amazing passage. If you think of these folks who had their lives threatened, like if you dig into the detail, they're like, you know, they're building the wall and they have a sword and they're sleeping by the wall. I mean, it's like life is dangerous and changed and hard. And yet what strikes me about this passage is this verse. It says, we all return to the wall, each to our own work. If you go to the next slide, I mean, these two, two things. One is the faithfulness of, of their work, right? They knew that God had called them to this. They had confidence in that. And just like Pastor Drew preached last week, they wanted to dedicate their time, their talent, and their treasures. I mean, I, we, won't, we don't have time today to really dig into kind of what Nehemiah did. But Nehemiah, if you really want to study somebody who like, is an amazing leader, like, you know, I can think, like, wow, this guy's an MBA, you know, kind of, like, he knows how to plan, he knows how to ratchet up, he knows how to encourage, he knows how to lead, but what struck me here was, was his faithfulness with what God gave him, with his talents, to continue to use them, to not give up, even in the midst of this kind of overwhelming discouragement, and whether it was him as the leader, or it was that bricklayer, you know, just putting one brick on top of another brick. They demonstrated faithfulness to the work. 
perseverance. I think what's also interesting and I, is this idea of community. Because what it talks about, if you, if you read it, it talks about, you know, they're all separated. And, and Nehemiah had this great, like, trumpet that he would blow, and everybody would come together and join together. And I put this quote up there, I think it's from Benjamin Franklin, this idea that if we don't hang together, we're going to all hang separately. And that was really true for these folks. Because if they didn't come together, they didn't fight together, they would have all been picked off one by one. And I think that's a good image for us to reflect on as a church. Like I would say, I would, I would ask each of you, like, are, are you part of a small group? Are you part of, a, I guess, a cell group? Are you part of a, some kind of connection here, somewhere? You know, I would say, I know for myself that, it, I, you know, Carol and I have had the privilege since we've been here since last summer to join um, what I call, and again, everybody else is super young. I'm the old one. We, I call it the old fogey group. You know, like the, uh, uh, we're really the high school children's group, okay? So, um, but, uh, but anyway, um, it's been awesome. It's really been awesome. Like, to be able to come together, to share about life, to talk about how teenagers are such a headache, like all these kinds of things has really brought us together and given us that community. And I would just say, like, we've been through COVID. We've been through separation. You know, I, I would say it has such an impact on, I know, for myself and so many others. And what Nehemiah teaches us here is that we do our work. And we work best when we're in community. Right? So I want to encourage each of us that if you're not, you know, part of something like that, to, not, to, to take a step today. Right? Don't forget, because that's so critically uh, important. If we go to the next slide. So this is Nehemiah's response. You know, as a New Yorker, again, I would just say like, wow, this is like, it's like changing, like makes me think, right? Because that's not my response. Like, it's not how I would, if somebody's persecuting me or insulting me or if I'm in tough situations, I wouldn't necessarily think to do what he, he did. But he reminds us today to pray, to submit to fill ourselves with God and what he has done in our lives and to continue and to persevere and to be thoughtful and smart about that. And I guess the question that I, I would ask, that you may be asking is, well, you know, that's really nice. Um, you know, I try to pray and I try to, you know, I try to remember God, but, you know, you don't really understand the circumstance that I'm in, right? It's really difficult. It's really hard. And, this, and, and frankly, you know, no one can understand that. And I would say, yes, that's true. Like maybe some of us, we can't identify because there's, there's difficulties in your life. But I, I would say one thing, that there is one who knows, who can identify, who knows you better than you, right? And, and we benefit today. You know, Nehemiah was 500 years before Christ. We benefit today be, by being on the other side of Christ coming. 500 years later after the imperfect Nehemiah responded in still such a godly way, Jesus Christ came, right, as the perfect Nehemiah, right? I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, but I just want to, you know, uh, remind us that if we feel like we, we can't, nobody can understand our difficulties and our burdens and our hardships, well, yes, there, there is one, and that is Jesus, 
who took on the burden and the hardship of the whole world, right? Who, when he didn't need to do that, you know, my, one of my favorite songs is this song of um, the servant king. Maybe this dates me. But the servant king, this song that says, you know, hands that flung stars into space to cruel nails surrender, right? The perfect Nehemiah who came, who prayed, right? Who didn't pray to, for his enemies to die, but prayed that they would be forgiven because they didn't know what they were doing. Right, the perfect Nehemiah who came to fulfill God's promise of who we are in, in God. This idea that because of what Jesus did on the cross, that our identity as sons and daughters of God is, is forever fixed. Right, that who we are, not being based on what we do, but because of what Jesus has done. And then lastly, if we think of like the working in community, Christ who came, who did the ultimate work for us. So that one day, all community, right? The Bible says people from all um, tribes, tongues, nations, just all over the world, we were able to celebrate together. What an exciting, amazing day that will be. And so we celebrate that today. That even in our hardship and even our struggle, as we're halfway home, you know, and we can't see the beginning and we can't see the end, we know we can have victory because of the perfect Nehemiah who dealt with hardship and struggle eternally once and for all. And I just want to say today, if you don't know this Jesus, come speak to somebody. He's here. He wants to know you. He wants to give you freedom. Because of his grace and what he did, we have that freedom today. And that freedom, again, I just want to say, and I'm just going to close here, is, is available to all. Right? It doesn't matter if you're in Jerusalem. It doesn't matter if you're in uh, Shanghai or if you're in Chicago or if you're in Boston or New Jersey or even if you are in New York, that grace applies. So we give thanks, we turn to God to help us overcome our opposition. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, we give you thanks, Father, for, for this passage, what Nehemiah teaches us about facing opposition. Lord, we wanna submit ourselves. We wanna be filled and reminded of you and we wanna persevere in our work even when things are hard. And we know that we can't do it by ourselves, but only through the blood of Jesus. The strength that we get because of what Jesus has done. Father, we, we ask you to remind us of that every day. Not by our power, but by your might can we overcome. We give you thanks and we pray this in your son's precious name.